0: all right we are back um i didn't mean for this to be part of the stupidity file but but it just might fit we have our suspicions But the story is that lights have gone out in the world's second most populous nation, that being India, for 670 million people. Yes, more than half a billion people, more than twice the population of the U.S., went without power Tuesday. This is, in fact, the largest electrical blackout in history, affecting, as it does, about 10% of the world's population. The story is that apparently three of the country's interconnected northern power grids collapsed for several hours. Blackouts extended almost 2,000 miles from India's eastern border with Myanmar to its western border with Pakistan. Now, this correspondent has been hoping for some time to go uh, pay a visit to some of the power distribution uh, centers here in California. I'm sure we'll learn a lot in a field trip like that, but it uh, looks like we better ratchet that up and see if we can't do that sooner rather than later, because if it happened in India, well, it could happen here, don't you think? I'm hoping the answer I'll be told by the PG&E people is, in fact, no, it can't, but uh, I don't know, scary stuff. Known to the New York Times, for a country considered a rising economic power, the blackout, which came only a day after another major power failure, was an embarrassing reminder of the intractable problems still plaguing India inadequate infrastructure, a crippling power shortage, and many critics say a yawning absence of governmental action and leadership. Now, this correspondent has been able to spend some time in India, and I think the thing that always struck me the most. Well, maybe not the thing that struck me the most, but one thing that certainly struck me pretty hard was that everywhere you go in India, you see all sorts of bootleg wiring attached to the local power lines where people are bleeding off electricity for home use without having to pay for it. I do have a sneaking suspicion that this extraordinarily widespread practice may have had something to do with the power going out for 600 million people. That's just a guess, but I just wonder. One of the times theories for the extraordinarily extensive blackout included excessive demands placed on, the, placed on the grid from certain regions due in part to low monsoon rains that forced farmers to pump more water to their fields, and the less plausible possibility that a large solar flare had set off a failure. We've talked in this program in the past about how as India is running out of water and its, and its population grows, they're pumping water from further and further and further down. Which, uh, which cannot go on forever. This outage brought havoc to India's railroad network, one of the busiest in the world. Across the country, hundreds of trains were stalled in the tracks for hours before service could be restored. This, I think, is a bit of a wake-up call. We're going to have to talk about uh, uh, our power grids in, in future installments of this program. Speaking of power here at home and how bankers can be compared to prostitutes unfavorably... Article from the Sacramento Bee, July 30th from Dale Kastler notes that uh, there's currently a, a scandal brewing about how, well, certain powers that be are gaming the electrical system again. Noted Mr. Kastler in his June 30th article, it's been a decade since companies like Enron manipulated California's electricity market to generate billions in excess profits. Enron went out of business long ago. California's energy market has been a place of relative calm. Now, however, another big power trader is being investigated for allegedly gaming the state's electrical system. State officials believe a subsidiary of J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, the New York Investment Bank, pulled down an extra $73 million by exploiting a small wrinkle in California's electric, electrical market over several months in 2010 and 2011. Note of the piece, just like a decade ago, the probe involves a company doing business At the California Independent System Operator, an obscure quasi-state agency based in Folsom, the ISO runs the state's transmission grid and oversees last-minute power sales. Its computerized trading floor is the nerve center of California's $8 billion a year electricity market. No, we don't really fully understand how this works, or even very well understand how this works, but uh, this too warrants a further investigation. On the Sacramento Bee's editorial page, this is the same J.P. Morgan, whose chairman, Jamie Dimon, has been appearing on Capitol Hill to explain to members of Congress how another arm of his massive bank lost $5.8 billion and counting in bad derivatives trades. Yes, we kind of tend to think they haven't learned anything on Wall Street and are continuing to play games with our money. Anyway, continuing with the idiocy file... There was a piece in the B on July 16th about L.A.'s sludge, its waste being uh, the valley's compost. Winnie Kaneshiro wrote the B saying, I question assurances of the Los Angeles sanitation districts that bio sludge is safe to use as compost when tomato growers won't buy tomatoes grown with the compost. And the farmer quoted said he won't use it on almonds because almonds are harvested after they fall on the ground asks Winnie, is biosludge safe or not? The article states government regulations require monitoring to make sure the metals in the sludge are at safe levels. Will these regulations be effective in preventing the shipping of contaminated sludge or just monitoring the soil and water after sludge has been spread? And what about other impurities that will be in the sludge, such as pharmaceuticals that have passed through our bodies and chemicals and beauty and cleaning products? Well, Winnie, we think you're asking a good question. We hope somebody comes up with some good answers. We refer you back to our archives for the piece we did with John Staub, author of Toxic Sludge is Good for You, that talked in some details about how various uh, sanitation districts in the country have tried to pawn off human bio-sludge as good fertilizer. And, of course, human waste is excellent fertilizer. They've been using it for millennia. But in other countries, they don't commingle human waste with industrial wastewater and pollutants. From the truly idiotic file, we have this item, which I think I'll just read. Dateline, West Palm Beach, Florida. Nadia Suleiman, remember the Octo mom, is facing a lawsuit after backing out of a deal to strip at a Florida club. Tease Lounge in West Palm Beach has sued Suleiman, the single mother of octuplets and six other children who had agreed to dance topless in eight shows that were to begin today. The club is seeking an emergency injunction to keep her from appearing at a competing club. And you know, there are some people that would find fault with the American legal system. To which I say, poppycock. If a certain stripper's lounge needs to go to the courts to obtain an emergency injunction, to stop the mother of octuplets dancing topless in another competing club? Well, by God, let's make sure that justice is served. Or that we operate under a rule of law or some other meaningless, highfalutin-sounded phrase. I don't know. All right, here's a just, just an irresistible item. A California man is currently homeless after attempting to clear spider webs from his backyard using a propane-powered blowtorch. S- Homeowner Aliyah Maida succeeded in ridding his property of webs, but he also set fire to some weeds and the blaze spread to his house and did about $25,000 in damage before it was extinguished. My favorite part. Local fire chief Keith Carter cautioned other homeowners against the use of blowtorches for gardening projects. And as a public service announcement, Radio Parallax would like to back up Chief Carter on that one. If you have gardening projects, please, at all costs, do your best to avoid using blowtorches. We admit spiderwebs will not stand up to a blowtorch, but the problem is your, your house might not either. And you know, here's what we've sat on since the 4th of July. I don't even want to give this guy the publicity of mentioning his name, but, but let's call him JC, described as a 28-year-old San Jose man, went to Coney Island, entered a hot dog eating contest, Ate 68 hot dogs to win for the sixth straight year. This, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, pig out festival. Exercise in gluttony. Demonstration of swinishness. I don't know. You pick one. We just find the whole thing pretty disgusting. Speaking of disgusting, we got a, uh, we got a rather uh, pointed commentary from one of our listeners, which I think I need to quote. Radio Parallax's own bicycling correspondent, Paul Dorn, wrote last week to say, I'm catching up on podcast episodes of Radio Parallax and finally heard the episode where you mentioned the inventor of the parking meter and how he, quote, had a special place in hell, unquote. You have to be kidding, right? I can't imagine the hellish conditions that would occur without reasonable regulation on parking. Well, Paul, we have to concede. You have a point. If we didn't have some reasonable regulation on parking, parking in America would resemble India. So I guess we'll have to modify our position slightly to say that, well, yes, parking meters are like any other tools. It's all depends on how they're used. We think how they're used in California's state capital of Sacramento is sometimes pretty lame. And I, and I would point out, and I'm sure Paul would appreciate this, that... Uh, When I was an intern at the medical center some years back, I made a point to always ride my bike to work. I never had parking hassles. and I always got a bit of fresh air. Of course, I was fortunate in that I had a very reasonable commute. But in consideration of Paul's valid point, we will back off and say that we do not hope that the inventor of the parking meter is now burning in hell, but rather that he is stuck in purgatory. Awaiting final judgment on the good versus the bad accomplished by his invention. All right, uh, for those who are contemplating a trip to the tattoo parlor, we serve up the following item from the Idiot File. is, quote, a Russian opera singer this week bowed out of the Beirut Opera Festival, where he was to sing the principal role in Wagner's The Flying Dutchman because of his swastika tattoo. News of Evgeny Nikitkin's tattoo caused a flood of outrage in the German press, forcing him to leave the production. Nikitkin got the Nazi symbol as a teen when he was in a heavy metal band. Said he, It was a major mistake in my life. I was not aware of the extent of the confusion and hurt that these symbols would cause, particularly in Beirut and in the context of the festival's history. I guess someone got around to cluing in the into the fact that Wagner was a notorious anti-Semite and his music was promoted by Hitler, who often attended the Beirut Festival. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're considering a tattoo, please do carefully evaluate the consequences of the symbolism associated with the thing you're going to get stamped onto your body forever. Better yet, take the money you're going to spend on tattoos and go buy a bicycle. All right, continuing with the idiot file, we have this item. According to Bloomberg Businessweek, Congress has sent only 54 bills to President Obama so far this year, including 14 to rename post offices, 9 to approve real estate transactions, and 6 to simply renew existing laws. Noted Bloomberg, that puts Congress on track to become one of the least productive sessions in recent history. Signing off on this topic also was Ezra Klein of the Washington Post, who noted that the current Congress is, quote, one of the very worst Congresses we have ever had. It's incredibly polarized and hideously unpopular, with a 10% approval rating, lower than BP during the Gulf oil spill. Said Klein, and no wonder. The House last week voted for the 33rd time to repeal the Affordable Care Act, knowing full well the Senate would never go along. Meanwhile, this 112th Congress has passed less than half the number of laws of any Congress in a half century. It has sat on key appointments and and failed even to pass a budget. Its inability to act has done serious damage to the recovery, repeatedly spooking markets, consumers, and employers. In 2010, the Republicans' reckless refusal to raise the debt ceiling shook confidence in the nation's solvency. The current inability to deal with the coming expiration of the Bush tax cuts is having the same effect. In a less troubled area, such staggering ineptitude might be comical. Given our pressing problems, it's an embarrassment. All right, one thing we tried to track down on this show for some time would be an interview with one of the presidential candidates. And to that end, we have a pre-recorded segment from a few days ago that I think we'll go to. There was much attention in the press not long ago to a story that Mitt Romney and classmates held down a boy with long hair and cut off some of the young man's locks. That was as the boy was reportedly screaming in fear and embarrassment. Well, we've now reached the GOP presumptive nominee to ask about this and other things. Governor Romney, welcome to Radio Parallax.
1: I'm glad to be here, Doug. And frankly, I welcome the opportunity to clarify these misunderstandings about my actions in prep school. Uh, that is what you care to discuss, is it not?
0: Well, yes, sir. We do hope to clear the air on that and, sure. and, and maybe some other matters.
1: Well, you, you see, Doug, I have long been an aficionado of the art of the prank. Uh, I was the go-to guy for, at my frat for hijinks, for example. And we had a lot of fun. And so long as it's minor mischief-making we're talking about, I'm in favor of it. Now, now if, someone, if someone gets carried away in tomfoolery, and their allegation allegations that some of us may have, again, may have, well, then I apologize. But in general, anyway, if I remember the incident, I could possibly be more specific.
0: Well, sir, we all heard that the boy, whose hair you cut off, felt traumatized by the episode, and he was, he was screaming in fear and humiliation.
1: Uh, gee whiz, uh, that sounds terrible. I-, I can tell you this. If that is what occurred, uh, and there's no proof of that's what occurred, but if that is what occurred, that we, we, we meant no harm, Doug. Far from it. But, but sometimes we get all get carried away. We all do.
0: Well, with all due respect, sir, I don't recall ever you know, grabbing a fellow student, pinning him down while he screamed and cutting his hair off. No? No, sir. Really? No.
1: Well, Doug, in my frat, we, we did a lot of pranking. Well, like the old potato and the tailpipe for the dance instructor, now, now that was a good one. And by the way, I got a lot of that myself, and I roll with it. The boys said P.L. one day. Now, P.L. was short for my nickname. You know, perfectly legal, Doug. P.L. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I got that name, Doug, because I was always pretty good at figuring out what was uh, legal or permissible uh, or, or 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 allowed.
0: Perfectly legal.
1: Indeed. Uh, like like kind of rat tail, guy, and not get into any real trouble.
0: What's what's rat tail?
1: Well, you know, the old, the old towel snap in the shower, Doug. Come on, Doug. You didn't do that in your prep school after a rousing lacrosse game?
0: Well, no, frankly.
1: You're kidding me. We wept just about everybody. But, but, but of course, when I, when I say wept, I, I mean buttocks only, Doug. Buttocks only. If a guy ain't for the family jewels, well, that guy might be in trouble with the provost or the dean of advanced placement. Nobody wanted that. Instead of Harvard, you can wind up at Cal Davis, for God's sake. Yeah. Uh, You you had to stay on the legal side or face getting passed over, Doug. Like, like take Puffy Rockefeller. He once needed a guy in the old jewel sack. He was lucky to get into Beloit College. Anyway, we had standards, Doug. Nobody wanted to get on the wrong side of the line. And this story about this boy's long hair being an issue, may I just say, bosh. We were all pretty familiar in that era with a certain four mop tops named John, Paul, George, and Richard. Uh Uh-huh heck, my dad used to love it when I pretend I was Herman of the Hermans Hermits and, and sing I'm Henry the Eighth, I am Ennery, the 8th i am ennery the 8th I am, I am. He got he got a big kick out of it, Doug. So so I can't imagine that longish hair got us teed off. Though frankly, I don't recall the alleged episode. As I said, all perfectly legal. I don't recall it.
0: I I see. Well, there's a story about a gay boy you mocked. You're quoted as saying at a girl when he answered a question. True?
1: Well, uh, uh, Doug, let me say this. There have been reports that this young man was gay. I didn't think of him as gay. I did not think of any classmate as gay. This was a different era back then, Doug.
0: Before the advent of gay.
1: Well, I, I don't recall this boy or all the alleged incident, but I can tell you this whole gay thing was not on our radar. Really? Back then, we didn't think of things in those terms. We, were we sheltered? I cannot say. Perhaps we were, but the whole homosexual concept was not something we pondered too much. Look, about the only gay things we youngsters were aware of was the gay 90s and the gay caballero.
0: What's the gay caballero?
1: Well, you know, Doug, Cesar Romero played the Cisco kid in a film of that name. He was, of course, the lovable Latin rogue we associate with Cisco, along with his trusty sidekick, Pancho. We enjoyed that movie very much. It, it, it's, that's how we thought of gay. And may I add, the themes in such motion pictures never got into anything related to sexual perversion or really anything like that at all. About all we knew of as gay were nose gays.
0: So the gay caballero and nose gays, that's about it.
1: Ascended floral arrangements are traditional at weddings, Doug. My wife and I had many a nosegay at our nuptials. I can verify that. That is absolutely verifiably true, true, verifiable. That is a tradition I support wholeheartedly. So note, gay and wedding can go together, in my view, and should.
0: Well, sir, I'm sure they'll appreciate that in the Castro.
1: I am happy to talk about Cuba, Doug. I support our embargo, but let's stick to pranking here today, if we could. I've always been a jokester. You can just, you just ask my wife. Before we married, I'd nab her with that soap that turns your face black. Boy, was that something. And, and, and I got her many a time with a joy buzzer, Doug.
0: Well, no wonder she fell for you.
1: We used to laugh and laugh and laugh. I, I got to tell you, she once put a pail of water on top of the door. But instead of dousing me, Doug, she got the maid. Bueller very nearly quit her service. She was mad as a wet hen. But once we got her a couple of buckets of Kentucky Fried Chicken, all was forgiven. You just have to know when to pull back
0: before you maybe, say, cut the hair off of a pinned-down, screaming boy. No comment. Well, uh, I guess these incidents to you are all just just like a whoopee cushion.
1: I'd say so, yes. Or, or a plastic doggy doo do in the hallway, exactly. But again, my classmates gave as good as they got Doug.
0: Anybody ever hold you down?
1: No, but I was the prankie. Indeed, I was. Petey DuPont once stuck a kick-me sign on my posterior in civics class. I got the horse laugh when Chubby Rockefeller gave me a good swift one. I, th- I thought I broke my tailbone, Doug. But b- believe me, when I tell you that this was a two-way street, we reveled in it. Everyone was in the give and take. Uh, Pete DuPont gave me an Indian rope burn more than once. and Puffy gave me a pink belly in gym class. And lest I forget, Doug, Bobby Mellon teepeed my yacht during the regatta twice. It's all, it's all high spirits and joshing, Doug. The ebb and flow, the back and forth, the to and fro. It's much like our politi- political process, Doug.
0: Well, sadly, sir, we, I think we find ourselves agreeing with you on that one.
1: I still enjoy harmless horseplay when the opportunity arises, I'll be honest.
0: Well, do tell.
1: Well, well. for example, the National Governors Conference in 1999. Back then, I gave Mario Cuomo the old atomic wedgie after a round of tennis, Doug. Mario and I still laugh about that one. He, 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 he's, a good, he's a good sport, Doug. He's a good sport. Of course, he later showed me how a match can burn twice.
0: Well, that doesn't sign the like Mario Cuomo we know.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's all public persona, you know, Doug. But he's a heck-raiser. I can tell stories.
0: Well, I think you should.
1: Well, uh, I like, like the time he short-sheeted Bobby Jindal one time. To my part, trying to pants Jesse Ventura Lakeside at Lake Minnehaha. Now that was a mistake.
0: Well, one imagines so. Yeah.
1: Jess Jesse is not only big and strong, but he's fast, very fast. Uh, no sooner had I grabbed his trunks when he tossed me right off the pier. <laughs> I, I, I I guess it served me right. But all all in all, it's just meant to be good, clean fun. The Obama administration could use some lightning up, Doug. Aside from uh, Eric Holder's cannabis club raids, I can't think of a good prank this administration's pulled off.
0: Is that a joke?
1: Uh, Yes, it is.
0: That's good to know.
1: Well, I promise you this, Doug. Yeah? When I take office in January 2013, we will see more clean, practical jokes. And and by that, I mean clever, clever, funny ones. There will be fewer smutty-type jokes circulating in our nation... During our Romney administration, this I vow.
0: So, Romney administration, there'll be more Three Stooges, less Lenny Bruce.
1: Uh, who? Never mind. Uh, but spe- speaking of Stooges, Doug, when Moe would slap Curly for being a knucklehead, that was much like what we did at Bain Capital, which I sometimes do not run, control, operate, by the way. I may not have even founded the company.
0: <laughs> you don't say.
1: Slap, like uh, I mean, Doug, Doug slapping people who need a kind of a wake-up call. I think it has merit.
0: Well, on that note, I think we 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 need to to go, but but please, sir, come again.
1: No, I hope to, Doug. And by the way, uh, your shoes untied.
0: How do you know that? Oh, oh, I see.
1: I <laughs> gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fun. It <laughs> yeah. Mitt, Mitt Romney,
0: presidential hopeful, <laughs> practical joker. Um, <laughs> Well, if we ever do a meet-in-person, Governor, I will try and show you what happens when you pull my finger.
1: Well, I'm very much looking forward to that Doc.
0: Terrific. Um, goodbye for now.
1: Goodbye. I'm a joker. I'm a smoker. I'm a midnight joker. I sure don't want to hurt no one.
0: All right, that's enough of that. Let's talk about smarter stuff in our third segment, which we'll come to in just a moment. But let's take a break. Listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. In
1: the sun. I'm a joker, I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight toker. I get my love and all the run.